0: everybody. This is Phil Town.
1: And this is Danielle Town.
0: And you're listening to the Invested Podcast, which is an exploration of how to do real investing the way Warren Buffett does it, ideally, because he's obviously extremely successful. And I'm teaching my daughter and she's teaching me as we go forward here. Uh, (laughs) You ever want to learn something? You ever want to really learn something? Just try to teach it. And you will discover if you've got honest and smart students, and Danielle is both of those things, that you will find out there's a lot of things you thought you knew that you don't actually know. And I apologize for the dog barking in the background, but I'm not moving, Danielle. I'm sitting in bliss in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, with blue sky, floaty little clouds, the mountains in front of me. I'm telling you, man, this is heaven out here.
1: I'm sitting in beautiful Zurich, Switzerland, sweltering inside my house because it's about a hundred degrees all across Europe and there's no air conditioning in this land. (laughs) So so we are doing this over the interweb magic. And I'm very jealous that you're in our wonderful hometown of Jackson Hole right now.
0: Oh man. And Melissa is very jealous Melissa is extremely jealous because she's sitting under one of the wettest winters on record, or wetter, wettest summers on record in Atlanta, having just tried to plant, you know, 50 acres of pasture twice in the last week or so and had the seed wash away. We've, we've had culverts wash away. It eroded the dirt on top of the culvert, which is the road. So, I mean, the water flowed over the top of everything. It's flowed over our dam. It's flowed over our roads. I mean, it's up on our lawn. Uh, okay. <laughs> and it took the culvert and washed the culvert away. And I, Melissa has a little boat called the Miss Melissa, which was sitting on the dock on one of our lakes. And the water rose so high, it picked the boat up off the dock, took it over the dam, over the, the, the dirt dam, over the top of that and into the woods where they found it today after the water receded. <laughs> I mean, this was sort of epic, you know, Noah's Ark time. And uh, we were we were so, laughing about it as the water was coming up. We said, hey, you ought to tie the boat to a, uh, one of the pillars on the front porch so you can escape. Right. And she didn't do it. And then the boat <laughs> the boat went down the river.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Oh, you, know that,
0: you know that old joke about, the, about the, the, the flood comes to this guy's house and, and he's praying to God, you know, it's to save me, to save me. And, you know, the flood just keeps coming and there's a boat of, of rescuers that show up at his front porch and say, Come on, get in the boat. He says, No, nah, I'm praying to God. God's going to save me. And so they say, Okay, well, last chance and they drive away. And the flood continues to come up, drives him up to his rooftop. And he's praying to God, praying to God to be saved. And along comes a, a, a helicopter and lowers a rope. And he says, no, no, you know, God's going to save me. And the water keeps coming up, tears down the house, and he drowns. And he goes up to heaven to Saint Peter. And he says, I've, I've lived a great life. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And I prayed to God to be saved by this flood. And God didn't do anything. St. Peter looks at him and goes, you moron. <laughs> God sent you a boat, then God sent you a helicopter. So get it together, man. You're crazy. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, Apropos yeah, I, nothing. Apropos well, of no, this broadcast. Let me just No do a no, segue. I, I'm about
1: to connect it. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. Your rambles make sense. Because I, that I actually thought of that joke back when I was sick and miserable and working a million hours a week in a law firm and trying to figure out a way out and once we somehow I looked at you and said why don't we start a podcast while you tell me about investing and you were like what's a podcast and that's a terrible idea and then we started to do it <laughs> and and uh, and and I started to learn this stuff much against my own will but somehow I somehow I did that and I still don't really know why or how. And I remember thinking of that story of that joke. Like you have to get in the boat that God sends to you. You have to get in the boat. You do. Oh and, my gosh. And- we have a special guest on our podcast. Oh, hey man. Come in here. Say hi. It's
0: my dear brother, Jeff Town, who is also the head of all of our training that goes on with our company. Jeff
1: Town, famous in uh, Uncle, the rule one world. Inaugural talk on the podcast. Your I'm your talk so on the podcast, Uncle She's Jeff. To welcome to the Investive Podcast for the first time ever. <laughs> Danielle, thank you,
2: thank you. I appreciate uh, being invited into this little party. It's an amazing podcast you guys have developed here over these last well, year or so. Maybe. All
1: of you who have been to the Rule One Workshops, and I know a lot of you have, know Jeff personally. He's a huge star at the <laughs> workshops and then, and then doing teaching. So you all know his voice very well.
0: Yep. This is my little brother who has been investing with me, and I've been investing with him off and on for 35 years. And he is the guy that does all the structures, the whole workshop, make sure everybody's got their... Their lines well memorized and knows how to do it. And he gets up on stage and teaches big chunks of it. And so do I, and it's kind of a family affair and Danielle is going to be at the workshop on October. What date? October 12th. I do
1: not know the answer to that, but I know it's in October.
0: I've got it. So all of you Danielle fans.
1: Well, dad looks it up. Yeah. So I'll be at the workshop in October. If you guys want to come meet me and Jeff and my dad. That's right. But Uncle Jeff,
0: I was just saying how... October 12, 12 13, just... 14. October 12, 13, 14. There you go.
1: Go ahead. There you go. October 12th, 13th. That's when I'll be in America at the workshop. Um, Dad just told the bad joke about how like the guy's in a flood and he's praying to God to be saved. And so a boat comes by and he goes, no, no, no. Don't worry. God's going to save me. I'm good. And so the boat goes away. And then a helicopter comes. And he's like, no, no, I'm good. God's going to save me. And then the helicopter goes away. And then he drowns. And he goes to heaven. And God says, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. What were you thinking? And how we have to get in the boat. You
0: gotta get in the boat. And how
1: I feel I feel that way about investing. And I felt that when I was first starting this whole thing and when we first started this podcast and talked about it, and it was really like against my own will, which I can't even explain. But somehow I got in the boat through pure instinct. And well in
0: this particular case. So I- god in the form of her father oh lord <laughs> brought the boat over multiple times the brought the boat over in, over eh? and over and over again <laughs> over again until finally no
2: dad i got it thanks I got, anyway i think really
0: the roof was coming off the house and finally she got in the boat well i can tell you i the think you finally brought an attractive enough
1: boat, boat. <laughs> 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 that was
2: what it was
0: Oh, that's what it was. It, it wasn't was a big enough, enough boat. boat. Oh
2: <laughs> man! <laughs> well, it's so true. It is so true. And and you know we all built that same way. So it's just some a little story we need to remind ourselves of and tell each other all the time. Just yep. to, I like to think of the analogy of trying on a coat and just hey try on this coat. If it doesn't fit, take it off and try something else on. Right. And when people are looking at our this knowledge. Um, come to the workshop, take a look at it, try it on. And if it doesn't fit, move on. Nice yeah. workshop pitch. That's my, I like uh, that. That's my little oh, analogy. And somebody told me that once at a, at a kind of a self-help seminar and it just made a lot of sense. It's like, Hey, there's nothing to worry about here. I can try this on and just, if I don't like it, take it off.
1: Yeah. See, we're I thought even, that you were, were going to connect that anything. to companies and research. That's where I thought you were going. Like try on some random company that you just happen to start reading about if it doesn't fit you toss it in the too boring or too hard pile yeah. and you move on you guys it doesn't do have well. to be
2: forever <laughs> i was thinking about the workshop but in terms of companies <laughs> for sure and most of the time we we end up saying no right which is kind of nice you just get to know pretty quick and you move on yeah really really it's like you try to get to know as quick as you can <laughs> and then go play golf yeah. yeah that's exactly right Hey, we're a no for today Let's go. Put it in the too hard pile, or pickleball, which is where I just came from.
1: Yeah, and how is pickleball? I'm
2: a pickleball star. Have you ever played pickleball? They play pickleball in star. Zurich.
1: I don't know what that is, but I think your wife wants you, Uncle Jeff.
2: <laughs> Good to see you, Danielle. And he's, he's great behind to talk you. to you guys.
0: Was she behind him? Thank you. Yeah. I, may not I thought get you back. made that up. I thought you were trying to get rid of your uncle. <laughs> I, may no, not I was get trying, it trying back to help her, her out. <laughs> no, you will.
2: You're going to be the guy that comes in and does the pitch from now on. I'll promise to have a better analogy next time. That was really good. All right. Was really good. <laughs> Thank right, you, man. guys. Keep it up. Bye. Ciao.
1: Have a great day.
0: Adios. All right. My little brother, who is an incredible teacher, by the way. Phenomenal. Jeff teaches uh, most of our, what we call the CR280 class, which is really good. It's a really good intro to the whole thing. So,
1: anyway. Back to Manesh Anyway, Pabrai. just to be clear, the workshop doesn't involve selling anything, which is the only reason I go to it. So it's totally. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the only reason. Well, I understand that because I don't like going to things where they tell you they're going to teach you everything. And what they really do is they teach you just enough to hook you that you might want to learn it, but you don't actually yeah. learn it. And then they sell you something for five grand. I don't no. like that. We don't no, I don't that. like that either. We're going to teach
1: you. So and, let's, uh, move let's move on to what we've been trying to get to uh, for a while. The checklist. Back to the back to the Monish Pabrai interview. You guys, if you are just coming to this podcast, first of all, you must think we're insane. Secondly, we're only a little bit insane. Secondly, this interview is online, Forbes.com. It's an interview with the investor, Monish Pabrai, um, uh, at the end of June, it came out on... June June 25th. Thank you. So it's easily if you search for that, it'll come right up. And it's an incredible interview with so much information just packed into it. It's not super long. It's a really, really good read. And we've been talking about it now for four giant episodes because there's just so much. It it sparks us into these nooks and crannies of talking about investing and the way he brings things out that are so clear and and lovely. And one of those things is his checklist.
0: And that checklist is the work of uh, 20 years of uh, making mistakes. And um, actually, it's the result of 60 years of making mistakes, because Monash did something very, very smart that I am, am slowly copying, and which you might think about as well, Danielle. And that is to go back through all of Buffett's letters, through all of Munger's annual reports, through every other investor who's who does this kind of investing at a very high level and read for where their mistakes were and try to understand what was it what was the error and get that error and put it on a checklist so some of the things that have caused us to make mistakes in the past would be so for example um, investing in a company that's heavily uh, controlled by a union, let's say, like a trade union, not a, not a company union, but a, a trade union that no matter how much money you make, the union is always there to reach in at, to the shareholder's pocket and take, take the money. Um, GM would come to mind as an example of that, uh, where you learn, uh-oh, sometimes unions can be very problematic. It doesn't mean you're not going to invest in a company that has a union, but it's a red flag that you need to deal with. Um, another one that's on the list of my list is debt, and it's on Monesh's list as well. And I've taught you this too, Danielle, and that is that debt can kill you. There's very few things in a good company that can take you down to zero, but debt is one of them.
1: Yeah, um, that's on the list that you gave me that we put in our book, Invested. Um, you gave me this checklist of expensive errors, yep. which, which you gave me because... I was so freaked out, even having learned how to evaluate a company, even having learned how to write the story of a company, even having learned the numbers, I still, like, and I think that this is this is a really good quality, actually. At the time, I thought it was a drawback, but I think it's a good quality that even then, I did not feel confident enough to make an investment. And so this checklist that you gave me, was like this fantastic gift of, okay, you're not sure, fine. That's all right. Go through the list and see if it meets any of these issues that other people have gone through already. And so what's so cool about Monish Pabrai, and I think this may be partly why you developed that checklist, is that he is obsessed with having a checklist. Mm -hmm. The one that he has, he says in this interview, has about 150 questions on it, which is a lot.
0: Yep, and Monash has been, um, has, does not release that checklist, he holds that as proprietary for himself, and I understand that. Um, but he thinks that, at least according to this interview, 70 to 80% of his checklist falls into three categories. One is leverage or debt, the second one is the management team, and the third one is the moat, the, the advantage the company has that's durable. And we
1: one leverage or debt. Yep. Two management. Yep. Three. What was the third one? The moat. The moat. The competitive advantage.
0: Right now, we I combine those. I would just say I would say those are two things um, that management. I look at management through several lenses: return on equity, return on invested capital. We've discussed this and debt. These are the three things I'm looking at. That management could radically change, and so I would consider that to be part of the management or ownership structure of the company. And then, yeah, of you the even put the huge.
1: debt of the company into the numbers you gave me for management.
0: Right. I, I score management based on debt. I, I just, I, I, I think that a management team is so capable of turning mercenary on the company by borrowing money and going out and buying stuff um, and getting bigger jets. So, so then why do you think
1: it? that Monish separates them a- apart from each other? He separates well, leverage because, and debt and management. Because
0: debt is so important. I could. It's really, uh, really extremely important. But I consider it to be a management issue, something that they can dramatically affect one way or the other. So, for example, if you get a new management team, the moat of the company is already there. it, it Right. Presumably, if it's a great company, it's already got a moat. So, for example, not to beat Chipotle to death, but if they have a big moat, it's a big brand company. They have ways of doing things that are secrets and they change management. They just got a new CEO in there. He's Mm -hmm. not going to dramatically affect the moat unless he's crazy. You know, it's a great defense against competition. So what he can do are the things I put under management, which is debt. And and going out and buying stuff he shouldn't buy, which changes return on equity and return on invested capital. So I, I put it that mm. way. But I'm telling you, I I hold it just as high up there as Monash does. The thing he doesn't put in here, which I think should be on, is is on our checklist, and you'll you'll it's in your it's in the book invested, is the meaning of the business, understanding the values of this business and how they relate to your own. How this business fits into its industry, what does it do in the world? I think that's just super critical, um, and it's part of our checklist. So, Monash doesn't publish his, but I, I'm pretty confident that we have the main pieces of it on our own list because it's coming yeah. from Buffett, it's coming from Munger, it's coming from Graham.
1: I think it's very cool that somebody who's so accomplished and and you know walks his talk, like is just very very good at investing, to put it simply still uses a checklist and and is still developing it and adding questions to it. Like, I actually would think that somebody like that would be cutting his checklist down because he would have sort of internalized it or would assume that at some point he, he would never make that mistake. But no, he's doing the exact opposite. He's keeping those things that he probably assumes he would never make that mistake and is adding new ones that he's finding out about to it.
0: That's true, but but he does say in the interview that the rate of adding new stuff is going down. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> over the years, over the okay. years. But he, he's given an example of something I find fascinating, and that is um, he's beginning to invest in or to look at companies in India, and has added something to the checklist. And what he says is, well, <laughs> what he's added is. That now you have to know what the auditing company is, who the auditors are, because there are a number of auditors in India who have been complicit in frauds.
1: Yeah, you you... mentioned that a bunch, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about investing outside of the U.S. because he also actually just coincidentally doesn't have any investments in the U.S. right now.
0: Right. Um, I think his main investments are... Posco, which is a steel company in Korea that he put money into two or three years ago. And I don't know that he's real happy with that one, but long term, it'll probably turn out okay. Um, Fiat Chrysler, which he's extremely happy with. That's done extremely well, which is an Italian company um, and owns um, Ferrari, which has now spun off as a separate company. And then he owns that piece of that. Um, And uh, those those are the big ones that he's got still. Um, I, I don't see his Indian investments. I'm not sure why I don't see those on his 13F filings, but I don't. Um, maybe he doesn't have to put them on there, or maybe he hasn't put any money in there yet.
1: 13F filings are filings with the SEC that investors uh, who have funds over a certain amount, over $100 million, uh, have to file publicly what positions they have, what they own, that are, um, well, they're called long. How do you define long? Besides the opposite of short.
0: <laughs> long is long is a, a really good term to learn. Long and short. Um, long means you bought.
1: It's like you just like own it, like normal. It's just no, normal. <laughs> it doesn't. That's how I imagine it. it doesn't yes, it mean does. that exactly. Yes, it does. Yeah, no, it does. doesn't. No, it does Yes, it does. Yeah, it does.
0: <laughs> okay, smarty pants. What does
1: long? What does long mean, Dad? If I'm long a put. What do I have? No, I'm not talking about options.
0: Well, you need to use the word long correctly because it's used with stocks and options. And Oh, uh, Well, I'm people talking about
1: stocks because they also don't reflect options on the 13F filing. Well, here's what's crazy. I talk, I'm just going to. And I just totally won that one. Yes. Okay.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. You did. But here's the one I'm going to win. And that is, if okay. long a stock, you bought it and you probably want it eventually to go up, right? Right. If you're long a put, you bought it, and you are protecting yourself from the stock going down.
1: Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Almost means the exact opposite. So long just means you bought it. Whether it's an option or a stock, you bought it. Now, you may want different things to happen, But you bought it.
1: Okay, I can appreciate that definition. I like that. You bought it. And whereas short means you sold
0: it. You sold it. And that might mean- Even
1: if you you didn't didn't own it.
0: You didn't own the stock. It could mean you own it and then, of course, you sold it and now you don't own it anymore. It could mean you didn't own it. You borrowed it and sold it. And now your broker's holding the money and waiting for you to pay the shares back. Or it Mm -hmm. could mean you sold an option and now you have an obligation- to sell your stock at a certain price, that would be a call option. Or you have an obligation to buy somebody's stock at a certain price, that would be a put option. So short and long across the range of, of things that you're going to learn over the next few years um, have very specific meetings, and they're focused on short is you sold it, long as you bought it,
1: period. I like the precision. I'm into there it. Go. There you go. Good job. All right. Okay, I stand. I will. I'll give you it. I stand corrected. Long doesn't mean that you, that you like that. It's normal. It means that you bought it. I like that. Bought it and. uh, Um.
0: Yes. Oh Um,
1: well, I was gonna. I was gonna move directions.
0: Okay, where to?
1: (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to interrupt your
0: continued explanation of short and long. I'm I'm done with long and short.
1: Well, okay, so. Something occurred to me as I'm um, as as we're talking about checklists, and last week we were talking about how Monish Prabhu very consciously and purposefully only works alone. He does not have analysts, and he doesn't take opinions from other people. He might bounce ideas off of other people, but he doesn't depend on their analysis for his own decisions. And I realized. I've never connected these things before, but those are very connected actually because if you have a checklist and you're working with somebody else and they say, "Oh, this is my competent, this is my area of competence right here. I am checking this one off. We're not going to have to worry about that one." And then I have to trust that that person is correct. I then didn't actually run through my checklist, right? I actually have some that I haven't checked off. Right. And so a checklist in a beautiful way supports us in our own, our own selves, our own confidence, our own actions as investors.
0: I like that. That's a really nice view of, uh, of how a checklist can support a practice that is one where you're taking full responsibility for each thing that you purchase. You're not gonna slide responsibility off to a team, yeah. um, which I think is very important, because the team isn't gonna be there to hand you money in your retirement. So you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna need to to make these decisions yourself. And that is so important to understand that somebody running a billion dollar fund, like Monash, makes, does not have an analyst working for him. He does all his own homework, and even so, his wife says he's still only working point 0.1 of a job. It's like he does. He doesn't. It's. It's not like you work real hard. It's like you read a lot. That's kind of the main thing. Buffett, who's running, I think, a 160 billion dollar portfolio, billion, hmm. has, I think, ballpark 20 people working for him overall, and that's all accounting, administration, everything, and there are no analysts. That's it. He does all those decisions, bounces it off Charlie, but they don't necessarily buy the same companies, right? Um, yeah. Charlie Munger, yeah, that's never true. had an that's analyst true. working for him, never had an analyst. I've never had an analyst working for me. I've had some mm-hmm. interns in the summertime where I'm just trying to teach some kids, but I've never had an analyst. And I don't find it to be a good use of my time. I, I mean, as you point out, I've got my checklist, whether it's all written down or it's in my head. I'm going through a process of looking at the meaning, the moat, the management, and the margin of safety. And I have to do it whether an analyst does it or not. And so often I've found that you just are you just have to look through all the busy work and then you hate to tell them, you know, you miss yeah. this and you miss that. No, it's like
1: that's really interesting. Just a pain um, in the butt. I so I worked for you for a summer and totally didn't take at all with the whole investing thing. And <laughs> It was, you know, it was it was all right. Like, I learned a couple of things, but obviously not the way I am now. And it was because, like, looking back, because I have often wondered why that didn't turn into what it is now. And I think it was because I didn't engage with the material the way I've engaged with it in this process. Because I would do, I did what you told me to do. And I had like a spreadsheet and I filled it in the way you taught me how to fill it in. And then I would come to you with my results and you would kind of go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Did you check out this thing? No. All right. Let's look at this other thing. Oh, okay. And here's my decision. Okay. Well, that one is not going to happen. <laughs> and it would be like, it would be like 10 minutes. And, and I'd kind of be like, all right. Like, okay, like, I don't really know what to do with that. So I'll just move on to the next thing. Exactly. And, it's it's and I, really... I, but I, let me add to this also. I was just reading. It must have been in this Lowenstein book about Buffett. I was just reading about Buffett never having brought on a successor. And that he had somebody who came an intern for him who was like some super smart guy and the guy actually has never talked about that experience publicly. He ended up leaving after like six months and went and ended up starting his own fund and apparently has done very well for himself. But neither of them have ever talked about it. And none of Buffett's kids are his successors, as you pointed out the other day. And I think this stuff is in someone's head. Like this is this is maybe the the corollary to us doing it all on our own, which is super important for excellence. Maybe the corollary is it's also hard to pass it to other people.
0: Which which brings us to another question we get sometime, and that is, if Warren Buffett is so good at this, and Charlie Munger is so good at this. Why go to all this trouble of investing on our own? Why not just buy Berkshire Hathaway?
1: Tell um, me about it. You are a right? priest of the choir. Yes.
0: Right. And so, um, and so the 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 answer is basically because Berkshire Hathaway is not a fund; it's also a company. And if you simply trust Warren that he knows what he's doing and Charlie, and that they've got great management, that's not the stupidest thing in the world you could ever do, but. The fact is, you're, you're pay, first off, you need to understand Berkshire, which is a fairly complicated conglomerate. Mm-hmm. And second, you have to pay the right price for Berkshire. You can't just buy a company at any old price and everything's just fine. You need to buy Berkshire like every other company at a margin of safety price. And so understanding what that price is requires you understand a very big and very complex company with a lot of moving parts. And, uh, and to do that takes a lot of work. So there are easier things to invest in than Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, maybe there's not that many as investments that are as secure, a long-term investment as Berkshire. I think that probably at a, roughly the current price, you're probably getting a fairly decent deal. Um, but y- the reason you don't just go buy Berkshire and say, hey, hey, we got it covered, is because you don't know what price you're paying. And a lot of times it's definitely overpriced. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how? What and a bummer that, to buy a a great company like that, and ten years later, it's still selling for what you bought it for. That was
1: yeah. so. right. <laughs> well, and that transfer of knowledge can be it can be really difficult. And so that's, I mean, that's why it's so amazing that what you do, and it's also why we wrote our book together because there was kind of this piece of like beginner dumb, beginner part of it. That wasn't a hundred percent coming across. Beginner what? <laughs> Beginner dumb. The kingdom <laughs> of beginners. <laughs> that's what book two should be called.
0: <laughs> oh God, that's a pretty good name. That's a pretty good name. I like. So, I like unconsciously incompetent. That's that's another one. Yeah,
1: or that, or that. Um, all right. So this has been a great discussion of Monish Pavri's article. Next time, you guys. We are going to have an interview that I did with L.J. Rittenhouse, who wrote Investing Between the Lines, which is a fantastic book about one of the biggest questions that everybody asks about this investing thing. How do you know if you can trust the people running the company? How do you know if they're going to do a good job for you and for your money over the next five to ten years? I can give you a hint. Oh, tell me.
0: I can give you a hint. And Monash talks about it in his interview. One more little piece, one more little nugget. And he says, when he writes his own reports, he writes what they start the report with where we screwed up. Yeah. And if you see that in a CEO letter, you're into the minority of CEOs on the planet right there. And that's probably yeah. a pretty good indication you're dealing with people of integrity. And it's unbelievable how rare that is.
1: Well, and so that's exactly what Investing Between the Lines is about, is how do you understand and analyze those letters so that you can understand and analyze the companies? It, it's a great book. It's our first investing book club pick. We're going to have a great interview with her next week. And I know it's great because we've already done it. So we're going to run it next week. And after that, we'll be back. I, I would like to put it off one more week.
0: What? <laughs> no. I know we can't. But let's come back one more time to Monash's interview because there's something in it I want to talk about. Oh,
1: he that's talks so about,
0: He talks about Fiat Chrysler.
1: Yeah, yeah. He
0: basically puts it out as a stock tip that you can buy Fiat Chrysler right now on sale.
1: Well, at the end of June – which was before a lot of stuff happened with Fiat Chrysler. Right. So yeah, let's talk about Fiat Chrysler next time. But I want to—I still want to run our book club next week, August 21st.
0: Okay, and then August 28th, let's do, let's dive into Fiat Chrysler. I'm going to show you, I'm going to, Danielle. let's work through owner earnings and payback time on, on Fiat Chrysler.
1: Oh, perfect, because we've been getting so many questions about that.
0: Yeah, let's go through both of those. And see what it looks like right now today. And then Love let's talk it. about the risk, whether it's the kind of rule one risk we wanna take, where we have a high degree of certainty that the risk is uh, relatively short term, a year, two years, three years, uh, that is causing this price drop, or whether there's a level of uncertainty here that keeps us away from this company as well. Shall we?
1: I'm making a note <laughs> owner earnings. <laughs> Excellent. Fiat Excellent. Chrysler. You guys know I keep him on track. June oh, yeah. 20. She
0: tries. Done and done. She does yeah, right. try. So, guys, <laughs> that's where we'll get to the next couple weeks. And with that, I think we're all set. We're all done? <laughs>
1: we're all done. You're all right. You can go off in Jackson and have a good time. Time to go play in Jackson Hole. <laughs> Thanks, oh, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Lot,
0: everybody. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, show notes, and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because... I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.